Flying Talkers podcast is made possible by ATC, One World, One Global Air Cargo General Service and Sales Agent, GSSA. ATC is your key to the air cargo market, both local and internationally. ATC is the best air cargo team in the business. Hi, this is Jeffrey Aaron, and welcome to today's Flying Talkers. The old phrase, you can never go home again, can apply to the recent and growing separation of the relationship between the U.S. and China. Yeah, that's, that's going to be different forever. And no doubt, however, China is tied to the world economy, and there's no turning back. A quick look right now from the satellite at China, obliterated by pollution, driven by clogged roads and factories puffing away, says that the business engine for all it's worth is back and that goods are going somewhere as we approach the doorstep of the Christmas rush. Now that China has ended the one country, two systems in Hong Kong and has unleashed COVID-19 and apparently is up to a lot of other less than glamorous things elsewhere in the world, you know, a 2020 reality check is in order. We'll have all of that in just a minute. Again, welcome to today's Flying Talkers. We're back. Thought we'd make a couple of quick points here. Now that China has ended that one country, two systems Hong Kong deal, the reality check is that business is awaiting breathlessly as the mass of goods continues flowing, seemingly unabated. But the lines between USA and China are hardening in other parts of the world as well as we move forward in trade. So we look away from the facts while engaging and playing nice with China for USA and everybody else. That's over. That's the proposition that's done. So now it's about how do we do business back and forth between the world and China that will appease both sides? How do we get both both sides of our trade equation back on track and get going again? Assume that pro-engagement has to be the way to go moving ahead with free movement of capital, labor, goods, and services. Recently announced U.S. moves to restrict China's engagement, I just noted, in U.S. universities and student exchanges, coupled with a growing list of trade tariffs, when you think about it, also stifles the idea that by exposing a large swath of smart upwardly mobile Chinese people to the value proposition of a Western education and free trade, we accelerate change in thinking. And that's not going to happen if we keep all this rhetoric up. It's just going to keep banging and banging and banging into our heads. And it affects everything. When you look at it, the universities and professors who are reaping benefits of tuitions and mobile teaching assignments are the money. But should that be the only criteria? Look, I guess the point is, there's a new reality at work in USA, at least minus the mixed messages from the politicians and the media during a furious 
presidential campaign that thankfully will be over November 3rd and more therapeutics and maybe even a vaccine for COVID-19 on the way. And that rhetoric toned down a little bit. This long, strange journey of 2020 might finally appear in the rearview mirror. Engagement with China is no longer at any cost. Now it's about reframing into what type of engagement we should have moving ahead. That's not my original idea. There's a guy named Chris Balding, a professor at Fulbright University. He's based in Saigon and he studied this a bit and made that comment. And that really rings a bell. Time to move on, time to check the future and lower the rhetoric. This is Jeffrey Aaron. Well, it's webinar time again. And all over the place, there are webinars going on like crazy. There are Zoom calls with six or eight or 12 people going to speak, airline people, other people going to speak. They're driven by publications. They're driven by associations. And we hope the message keeps coming out that Air Cargo has come into its own and that it's a shining example of the future. For the world is paying attention to air cargo now. And let's not have a repeat of that stupid message that went out a couple of months ago when a group got together and posed some real questions about whether or not air cargo could get the job done when the vaccine was ready. We're finally talking about the vaccine, but with the world paying attention to the air cargo industry right now, let's show the world what we can do by example and how we think and the inventiveness and who we are and how we get things done and how we've always gotten things done. Let's not sit down with a bunch of people holding a crying towel about, oh my God, I don't know whether we can carry it or not. Let's put, let's put 200 people on an airplane with an igloo container in their lap filled up with vaccine and ice if we have to, to get this damn thing under control. Let's decide we're gonna roll up our sleeves. Let's be Jan Krems, who this week told me, well, we had 28 charters on Tuesday. Let's go out and make things happen the way we know how to. Let's not sit there and cry, the sky is falling. Send Chicken Little back to the barn. So the topic is air cargo and vaccine distribution. Well, throughout modern history in general, and this pandemic crisis in particular, air cargo has played a vital role in the delivery of critical supplies and equipment on a global basis. As the pharmaceutical industry dedicates its resources to the creation of an effective vaccine, one of the greatest challenges will be the design and implementation of an efficient distribution system seriously speaking now, that will address the demanding logistical requirements. Airports and their partners, turns out, will be 
critical elements in the planning and operations. While there are obvious variables that must be addressed, the originating distribution points still need to be determined. The success of the pharma companies in developing an approved vaccine in their locations will be the deciding factors. However, the ultimate distribution systems and delivery points will be theoretically predicted upon a number of measurable and weighted criteria, which could include, but is not limited to, in an order to be determined. Has to do with population concentration, has to do with regional infection rates, concentration of specific societal and industry elements, essential workers and businesses, schools and educational facilities, concentration of population with pre-morbidity, local distribution, operational capacity, regional distribution facilities, and infrastructure. These are some of the drivers that will certainly be determined. At this point in time, the primary distribution targets and relative networks should have been determined, with the priorities being the remaining key of variable issues. Assuming that this is the case, then the mechanism should be in place to ensure that the latter criteria, which are directly relevant to airports and their partners, are in motion. When a vaccine is fully confirmed as viable, demand, as we all know, will be enormous. Enormioso is another way to put it. In all probability, assuming the production of the vaccine is ramped up to maximum levels, the manufacturing facility or facilities will create extremely high volumes of the product and demand for related equipment, which will stress unprepared distribution facilities and infrastructures. These are the questions to be addressed, including who will be responsible for each aspect of the product? Have main distribution points been identified? Were critical players in the logistics chain involved in the process? Also, is this the transportation infrastructure as we know it prepared? Those are simple and they're very honest questions. And you know something? As I've said over and over again, Air Cargo finds a way and I think once the vaccine comes in, we'll see, and the world will see, the miracle of what the air cargo business can do. The challenge is going to be significant, particularly here in America, if there are multiple states and jurisdictions in a single targeted region. Putting aside the administrative issues for a moment, there are a number of primary considerations which will vary based on targeted regions. For example, the establishment of regional control and communication centers and the creation of a planned distribution network. This is going to be vital in the chain. Uh, once distribution has begun, shippers, airports, carriers, forwarders, customs brokers, trucking companies, federal and local agency, local distribution centers, and the ultimate sites for vaccine administration are all going to have to work very closely together in real time. The availability of federal staff to ensure inspection and clearance of shipments on a timely basis is also very important. The capacity of aircraft apron to accommodate inbound and outbound freighters or whatever is carrying the stuff and the availability of necessary handling equipment has to be guaranteed. Possibly trucking access directly to the airport apron 
based on the need to get things moving could be something that could be invented or brought upon. The availability of staff to coordinate and prioritize apron movements. You know, a lot of people are getting laid off. A lot of people are here, there, and everywhere else. But once this thing is happening, all of these things have to come into play. The availability of climate controlled facilities for inbound and outbound shipments, designation of high speed throughput or bypass lanes in the air cargo facility. Everybody knows the bypass door. Maybe we need more than one. We need, we're going to have to have trucks with climate control capacity. They're out there. Designated and prepared landside consolidation and distribution facilities. That's a pretty simple thing to put together. Big airport, lots going on. Most of it's not the passenger business, so let's see some movement towards developing areas and spaces for this great influx of activity we expect to see happen when the vaccines are ready. In other words, you, you establish controls for landside access and queuing. You create security protocols for the transport and storage of vaccine. We don't want to give away the store. What we want to do is we want to make the store more efficient. As with so many of the challenges we face, timing is critical. Tomorrow is pushing the envelope. I don't mean to infer when I say let's, uh, you know, let's rely on air cargo to figure out its thing. It's not just air cargo. It's a big wide swath of things that have to go on. I mean to infer that we'll get to these points. The airport people, the people I mentioned, aforementioned people that are in the industry as well as the airlines. The logistics of the distribution operation are daunting, but they're manageable. Success will depend on comprehensive and early planning, close and ongoing communication, and perhaps most importantly, management that understands the issues up and down the line and commits 100% to implementation. This is Jeffrey Aaron. Well, today the subject is women in air cargo. When I came into the business, there were no women in air cargo. I remember going into Pan Am Hangar 67 at uh, JFK Airport and uh, meeting a lady named Dolores Hoffman. I wanted to see Dolores because she was driving a forklift truck and she was the only female member of that operations and that great big mammoth terminal with all those 747 freighters encircling it at JFK. I mean, it's still there. It just doesn't uh, look quite as big as it did when I was younger, which is always the case, isn't it? But her name was Dolores Hoffman, and she's still working today for the Airport Development Council, which I think is a great thing because, uh, yeah, she had tremendous stick-to-itiveness. She wanted to be in the cargo business, and there she was at Kennedy Airport, on that forklift truck and sitting in the break rooms and having to sort of walk around and not notice that the only other women in the terminal, unless you want to count the ladies up in the offices and so forth that never went into the terminal, at least not without a tetanus shot, ha ha. But if you wanted to really find another woman in the terminal, she'd be on a calendar, a Playboy calendar or something like that back in the day when that kind of thing was uh, just unfortunately, almost normal. My goodness, what we can see through the prism of time. But there is a place in this world 
And of course, you never saw women. I get ahead of myself. You never saw women at any kind of our meetings or any kind of anything ever in the cargo business. Maria Canino, I think, was the first major woman to be uh, work for an airline to be in charge of the, all the cargo fortunes for Kuwait Airways. And she used to sit in a little office off of Rockaway Boulevard. I sometimes wonder what happened to that lovely lady. She was a true pioneer of the form, and uh, and I imagine her courage and working against impossible odds. Well, before I let it get away with me or get away from me, today we want to start a series of a place about a place where we see lots of women in charge of companies, lots of family-run companies, lots of women in charge. We invite our listeners to to write to us and reveal who they are. We've found some, a few, just very few in U.S. The place I'm talking about is India. India has just a tremendous population of bright, aggressive, well-educated, well-spoken women. Today, we're going to meet uh, Chetali Mehta, and uh, she's a logistics professional with over 22 years experience. And she's the first woman in her family business, but it's a third generation customs broker, second generation freight forwarder. She's the boss now of EKF Global Logistics, um, and that's in Mumbai. Her ability as a natural problem solver, I am told, and keen observer has allowed her to quickly learn the tricks of the trade and carve out a niche for herself in this sector. She has a law degree, she's sought out by her peers for her ability to objectively look at situations and provide valuable advice. Chantilly says that logistics is simple. It's a simple word. Anyway, it's a simple word, but with a complex connotation, has so many branches that interconnect, overlay, yet is a strong, invisible thread that ties the world economy together like what she describes to be as a Spiderman's web. Meta firmly believes that the work that she and her team do makes the cogs in the wheel of the world economy go around, and this, she said, is a great thrill. We actually make a difference in people's lives, albeit indirectly, and it has this thought that makes me love my work and inspires me to work harder. Well, we asked Chatali if she can tell us what she thinks is going to happen to air cargo now that it's the act. It, it's the action. It's what's going on in the business. Does she think it has a future that will be driven to even greater heights as, as this continues? And she said, I've always believed that the cargo logistics industry have never gotten the recognition they deserve. Cargo has always been shortchanged compared to the passenger because cargo's in the belly. It's downstairs. It's the last priority after passengers, baggage, courier, newspapers, and human remains. This pandemic, however, has finally brought to light the importance and essence of the logistics industry and cargo itself. While everyone was at home protecting themselves, it was us in the industry who were the frontline players and ensured that all the pharma needs, PPE kits, and other essential items crucial to the COVID-19 recovery were on time and were moved. Customs cleared, uplifted by the airlines, transported, and delivered. The airlines, the airport custodians like Mumbai International Airport, India Customs, the transporters, customs brokers, freight forwarders, and laborers 
As far as I could tell, all rallied together without any thought to their personal lives and ensured all critical equipment and pharmaceuticals were delivered. You know, the only cargo moving for the first three months of the pandemic was from pharma industry. And despite the breakdown in the transport sector, as in India, for example, the drivers all went home. You know, they just created chaos that's never been seen before. But the customs brokers and the freight forwarders, the airlines, other people did everything humanly possible to ensure that cargo reached final destination. What I like about Chitley, Meta, is that she's got it figured out. She's thought about it. She's sitting there with a very wide perspective. I think you could listen to podcasts and you could listen to uh, webinars all day long and get a five-minute snippet of this and a five-minute snippet of that. And my favorite on the on the webinars is blank screens when somebody finally says, "I think I've had enough of this." But but. You know, I guess I miss the in-person aspect of things and when you can really get deep dish into things and come away with some ideas. So that's what I love about this lady because she's real smart. She's somebody should listen to. I suggest with all due respect, make a few notes. This is what she said. How can Air Cargo best cope with the need for effective deliveries of vaccine when the antidote comes? Quote, the air cargo industry has been dealing with vaccines and their shipping much before an average person understood the importance of a vaccine. The airlines, the custodians, the customers, the freight forwarders and customs brokers are already handling huge volumes of vaccines and the infrastructure is pretty good. India is one of the biggest exporters of pharma in the world. However, having said that, due to COVID-19, the airlines had raised their rates so high that shipping at that cost was not practical, but yet had to be done because of necessity. Now that everyone knows that the vaccines are going to come, it would be prudent for the airlines to have air freight rates which are more in line with pre-COVID times, and they should not cash in on the opportunity because the priority should be to ensure that everyone gets the vaccine so we can finally be done with and progress from the pandemic hit global situation. Yay for you, yay for you, yay for you. The pharma companies should already be in talks with the players, and I guess they are, as the, in the airlines, custodians, logistics companies like ours and so forth, to come up with best practices on how to deliver the vaccines effectively. That's going on. Right now, we have only a few airlines operating. That's in India. But once vaccines are ready to be shipped, all the airlines will have to restart because leaving only a few to handle the entire movement from different manufacturers could create a cartel-like situation. Capacity has to be increased because if there is no capacity, then space would go to the highest payer of freight and it would be no good for the consumer. The customs on their part will have to ensure that they have officers available in full strength at all airports, and more importantly, that their systems are functioning optimally because our systems are a letdown many a time, leading the dwell time to increase tremendously, said this lady from Mumbai, India. Since the customs is working 24-7, they're already equipped, but just need to make sure they're office positions are occupied and not empty. For the custodians of air cargo complexes, they need to make sure 
but they have the space available to store the vaccines, their infrastructure is up to date, and they have no labor problems, and their teams can handle the intense pressure that's going to be created. The atmosphere is going to be electric, and every person in the supply chain should and would feel proud of their contribution to save the world. I firmly believe, Ms. Mehta said, that whilst the medical fraternity has saved millions of lives, our industry's contribution is right there. And because of us, these millions of lives were and will continue to be saved. Wow, sir. There's more to the story. We asked Ms. Meta what you thought about the story of 2020 as it unfolds. Do you want to share perhaps or something you've learned during a similar parallel experience, whatever the situation during your time in the industry, what would you like to talk about when you think about what's happening this year? And she said 2020 is a year that a majority of the population hasn't seen. We've had wars and famines and epidemics, but never a pandemic which literally brought the entire world to a standstill. I've been in the industry for 23 years, and I've seen the depression of 2008. And at that time, me and my colleagues in the industry thought we might not survive. But in fact, many of us did survive, and victoriously so. I have personally never seen anything like this. And to be honest, the first month was overwhelming, and I was struggling to grapple with the situation. But this is what I learned, the best practices that I've picked up. First of all, technology is our friend, and we have to embrace it. Going forward, or freight for, going forward, <laughs> freight forwarders and customs brokers need to make sure that they are equipped with the latest technology. So if there is a second wave, all the lessons learned should be remembered, incorporated and set into practice for smooth operations. Mobility is the key, and it's important at least 40% of your staff come from nearby areas so that in such kind of situations they can hold the fort if their colleagues who live far away can't make it. Be positive and look at opportunities. Thinking of the negatives alone will suck you down like nothing ever. Take the time to complete incomplete or pending projects. Reconnect with your staff, your vendors, your clients, your partners. It helps you and it helps them. Collaboration is the key to survival and longevity, Ms. Meta said, so actively go looking for possible ways to collaborate. Maintain a healthy bank balance. Money ain't funny, right? It's the most important because if you don't have the cash, your company isn't going to survive. Invest in training your staff because it would pay off in such situations. Talk frankly and open with your staff and team members, customers as well. They need assurance from you, but also the truth. Don't paint a very grim picture, but don't give a false hope either. Cost cutting doesn't only mean firing staff. It also means relooking at your expenditure style and reducing or getting rid of the money guzzlers. <laughs> Love that one. Most importantly, never give up and don't forget your journey. Since you didn't quit when others would have expected, don't do so now. It's the survival of the fittest, but your mental game will keep you on top. So be 
mentally as strong as you can. Now those are words from Chitali Mehta, and she's first woman in the family business. There's more to this story, but I'm completely out of time. So check us at Flying Typers for the rest of the story. She's got some more to say. This is the first in a series of stories that we've uncovered of leading women in our business in India, where there's a, quite a few women running great companies there. Well, we thank you for joining us today. This was an enlightening day with uh, an awful lot of news that's hopefully good for you to use and be able to move forward. And so I thank you for your time this time until next time. And I say, keep them flying, air cargo. This is Jeffrey Aaron saying thanks again and goodbye. Speak to me. Good, Lou.